Brewers fans, Moof Milkers everywhere. Welcome to a special episode of Blast Points here, where recently, thanks to our friends at Lucasfilm, we had the honor of being part of a conversation with Nicholas Brittell, the composer for the incredible score for Andor. So it was us, it was our friends from Friends of the Force, Triad of the Force, Jedi News, Sky Talkers, Talking Bay 94, and Space.com. And I, this, this is really a really fascinating conversation. I mean, the music for Andor has been consistently week to week amazing, but hearing Nicholas kind of go through the process like he does, it's, I don't know, this is really great. Yeah. Everybody asked great questions, and all of his answers were were fascinating. And he went pretty in-depth with his process and kind of some of the behind the scenes of getting the incredible Andor score out of him and Tony Gilroy's mind and into our ears. Yeah, so all right, enough of us talking about it. Let's all listen to this wonderful roundtable interview with Nicholas Pertel. So our question is, uh, we are loving how each title sequence has a slightly different piece of music, mm-hmm. almost like a musical version of the opening crawl in the films. Where did that idea come from? And what was the process for composing a different musical introduction for each episode? That is a great question. Uh, it was it was interesting. It wasn't it wasn't something that we knew we were going to do in the very beginning. Um, I worked with Tony for you know, basically two years on, on, on all the music for Andor for season one. So it was something that I think about a year and a half ago, <laughs> uh, when I was presenting him some of the early possibilities for, for a theme, uh, for, uh, for Cassian, but also really for Andor for the whole sort of show itself. Um, when I was showing him all the, you know, this one piece, I was showing him all the stems and all the different elements of it. And I was like, you know, I, I like the big version, but I was like, you know, when you just hear the cellos, it's really beautiful. And also, you know, if you just hear like the synthesizers, it's kind of cool. And so we kind of looked at each other, we're like, I mean, maybe we do a few of these. <laughs> and then it actually very quickly um, uh, became something where we realized that there was a concept there of evolving it over the course of the whole season so that we could tailor each main title to what was about to happen and sometimes sort of relate to both what has just happened and where we're about to go in the next episode. So, so it became this kind of like a, you know, calibration almost for each episode. And, uh, and the process of doing it was, um, it was a lot of work. (laughs) It was every single, every, every episode, um, you know, we scored these in, and I can talk a lot about all this for sure, but we scored them in London, recorded with orchestra. I did all the synthesizer work. Um, and basically every every single episode that I was scoring, I would say to myself, you know, what is the main title I'm going to do for this? And I would, you know, Tony lives 11 blocks from me. So he was here all the time sitting on this couch, actually. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I would say, I think this feels this feels good. And we worked so closely together on each of these and tailored each one to sort of what we were feeling at the, at the time. 
Hi there. Uh, one of the things I love most about your work is it really feels like your music takes us into the minds of the characters opposed, as opposed to just sitting atop them. I think this is super present, especially in the past to present suite and in our most recent episode that we saw, episode eight, where we have yeah. these beautiful string orchestrations, but this very kind of tilted synthesizer. Uh, when you're writing music for uh, Cassian or a particular world, what do you feel like you need to understand about the character or the situation in order to ap approach writing the music for it? It's a great question. It, I think it gets to kind of this, the heart of the whole process in a way, you know, cause every, I think every project, no matter what it is, you know, every show, every, every film deserves its own sonic landscape, its own sort of DNA. And the complicating factor on a, on something as epic as Andor is that every episode in a way also demands its own approach. So, um, you know, you were talking about the, the most recent episode that has its own whole uh, sonic palette in a way, but to calibrate that, that, to sort of get into what it is, especially for Cassian, that was something that it really evolved for me over time. Um, I start every project at, at zero, you know, like I try to be as blank a slate as possible. And through conversations with Tony, through reading some, I read these very top secret early scripts, you know, um, and then starting to see imagery, eventually starting to see footage, um, and then, and then edited episodes. Um, I feel I'm learning along the way as that's happening. So it's not like there's sort of one thing where I sort of realize, oh, I think this is it. It's actually something about, I experiment with a lot of different ideas. And I think over time, you sort of discover that certain things resonate with the picture certain things when you're you know especially like you know we I did a lot of on-camera music actually before they had shot everything I mean that's a whole that was a whole endeavor unto itself but um you know once I started like working on episode one because we we did it in order in that way and uh once I started working on episode one there were certain things that just it felt like Cassian like certain motifs certain progressions and the thing I knew was that as he evolved, as he learned about himself, as he learned about his universe and the struggle that's going on, he, that, that certainly would change. And, you know, and it changes through episode eight, certainly changes all the way going, you know, there's a lot more obviously to come. Um, but I think it's about, it's sort of an abstract answer, but it's kind of about feeling it's about feelings. It's about feeling that there for Cassian in particular, I think there's this questioning that he's doing that he doesn't even know he's doing. I think sometimes, you know, he doesn't know, he wants to know about his past. He wants to know about his present, but at the same time, I think there are certain things he may never know. And I think the music itself is trying to capture that in a sense, the main title in a way, you know, you can imagine the main title as being sort of a big immediate concept. I actually wrote the main title. So it starts almost at nothing. It starts like kind of just with this pulsing, this kind of lurking feeling. And as it grows over 35.2 seconds, you know, it goes, it, it, it has this final crescendo culmination and then it goes away as well. So there's this kind of like, it's sort of discovering itself and then it vanishes. And I think maybe there's a metaphor there with, with, with Cassian too, that he's, he doesn't know. And then he, and then we have glimpses of learning and discovering and realizing, and then, maybe something else happens. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, Nicholas. Sure. Um, you just mentioned that you start each project with a, with a blank canvas and then you build from there. So what will you take with you from season one 
as you start to develop and you continue the themes, obviously we know where we're going with the characters, but obviously we don't know how they get there. Right. So what have you learned and what will you take with you as you begin to approach the journey in season two? Another great question. These That's a big question too, that I don't really, I don't even know the answers to that. I think I would say, I think, you know, um, the, the definite starting point I would have, and again, I haven't, you know, I'm, I'm talking to Tony right now. We're already planning certain things out, but I haven't actually, you know, begun the, the official scoring of season two yet. Um, but, you know, my, my sense would be there are very, there, as we, you know, like I was saying, as I'm, you know, as I score a project, you learn as you go, you discover things, which I think is fascinating too. I feel that, you know, it's not a, it's not a science. This is very much something that every episode sort of teaches you things. And, you know, you might try a theme out in one episode and it really feels right. And then you might try the same theme out in another episode and it doesn't work at all. You know, it just, it, the, 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 the film just rejects it, you know? So I have certain themes that I think feel like they're related to the dynamics of the struggle of characters. There's, there are many themes, certainly, you know, there's, there's themes, you know, just big picture. I mean, some of them, there's obviously a sort of Andor scope uh, theme. There's motifs related to Cassian. There's, um, there's motifs certainly around Mon Mothma and the rebellion. Um, there's uh, every episode has, its, has certain unique signatures too, that are almost like uh, latent within those episodes. And I'm imagining that there will be a lot of individuation as we go to so there's probably many things that i haven't yet thought of that that we will that we will come to um but i think many of the of the large scale themes are certainly things that i imagine um carrying over luthan luthan's theme you know which obviously intersects with with many things um uh the isb uh theme that i that i wrote though so those are those are some of the things that i would imagine but again i actually have not read any scripts so i can't say for sure just about anything. <laughs> Hi, Nicholas. My name is Caitlin from Sky Talker. So nice to talk to you today. Sure. Um, you mentioned this previously a question ago, but I wanted to learn some more about the music that was played on set during filming. This seems so sure. cool and special that you got to do this. Without spoiling anything, can you discuss how that decision came about? Sure. Um, you you know, you've seen some of it so far. There's definitely more to come. Um, uh, but it was... Be, just for purely almost practical considerations, that was the stuff that Tony and I began with first because it had to be done. And, and it was really important uh, to both of us that it be really done on set. So, you know, we I did a lot of demoing and pre-records, but there people actually recorded stuff on set. You know, some of those things, for example, if I'm thinking uh, like episode three, the alarm signaling on Ferrex, you know, that was a whole kind of percussion suite that I wrote and each rhythm had its own meaning that Tony and I would talk about. So there's a, there's a rhythm at the very top of it where um, that sort of signals like a, a message is coming. And then there's a rhythm for the commencement of the alarm. And then there's other rhythms that sort of join. So that was, that was one example of that, that uh, we worked on a lot and, you know, it's so complicated too, because you come up with these things and then, they're done on set and then you see how that worked. And then in post, you sort of then try to figure out, okay, well, really big questions like, you know, does the score have to be in the same tempo as the signaling or if it's in the same tempo, does it work or not? And the interesting thing is that there's no right answer for these. Like, so for example, with the signaling, it was important that the score didn't acknowledge it. 
because when you started acknowledging it, it started feeling like the signaling was score and it's not, you're seeing it, you know? So that was like, okay, don't, don't do that. But for example, the time grappler, um, that was another example of on camera, you know, we had to have him, you know, <laughs> swinging that mallet. And, um, that was something where we actually wrote this very elaborate series of individual musical idents for different times of day, for different instructions that they were giving the people of Ferrex, you know, at different moments of the day. And so that was something where at times the score actually is in the same key as the time grappler, because sometimes it felt weird if it wasn't, you know, so, so those were the types of things, both in pre current production, you know, post-production, we had to figure those out. Um, another example is the Aldani eye festival, the chanting and all of that music, you know, uh, I wrote that music. Tony wrote those wonderful lyrics, <laughs> shall we say, you know, uh, and, um, you know, th those were all different things, each of which that was, that was very complex too, because the score in those sequences was, was so large scale. And, and, and that was one where it, it did have to sort of connect in certain ways. Um, so those were, those were some examples of the process and the, and the challenges and, and, uh, and there's definitely more to come. So that's, <laughs> that's what I would say about that. My question, my question for you is, well, congratulations on such a, a dignified and, and distinctive score. It's fantastic. And you. so my question is, um, what was the sort of musical recipe that you concocted for the score? And when did you know when you had nailed it? Wow. That's, that's, that's a tough one. I think, uh, I don't know if you ever know if you nail something, you know, I think you're always just putting in the time and the effort and you're sort of, uh, you're going on your, on your instinct that if it's working, if it's resonating for, for you, you know, for me, my hope is that then it resonates for other people, you know, and if it's working for me and Tony, then I get more confidence that it's working, you know? So it's, it's a lot of, um, you know, it's a lot of time and it's a lot of, uh, effort really. And the, and, and the, the formula, you know, if there, it was really from the very start, um, Tony and Kathy Kennedy were so supportive and so, um, you know, really clear about wanting a unique soundscape for Andor and about really, you know, hoping that it could have kind of its own sound palette and, and, um, and, and, and unique new themes and textures. And so that really gave me the sense of, um, not just support, but freedom to explore things. And I had this instinct very early on that obviously I love working with orchestras and I, you know, it's one of the joys, the greatest joys of, of being a composer, I think is getting to write for orchestra. But at the same time, there was something with Andor that immediately to me, I was drawn to these sort of um, older analog synthesizers um, that, you know, and I don't often get to write with a, with a sound palette like that, but there was something about, you know, perhaps it was the idea that we're, you know, I, I grew up loving Star Wars. I mean, I think Return of the Jedi, I think was the first, my, my parents, so I think it was the first movie I, they took me to in a movie theater when I was like three, <laughs> you know? So I, I, I love Star Wars and, and the, the idea that this comes before that, you know, this is early, this kind of earlier than that trilogy. This is before Rogue One, you know, there was something almost like retro that I was thinking like, oh, we can, what would sound like we're before this, you know? And there was something about, to me at least, there was something about this, this sort of retro analog synthesis that felt like we were going to the before stages of something that could then grow into hopefully where, what we all 
know eventually, you know, the, the sort of maj majesty that, that, that Star Wars is, you know? So, um, so that was maybe an early instinct I had and, and certainly not everything is synthesizer. You know, there's, there's, a, we recorded with a huge string orchestra and brass and percussion and, uh, amazing musicians. Uh, and, uh, so there's, there's all of that, but I think that was, those were some early instincts that I had. And I think the, the actual, um, you know, uh, orchestration itself really varies, uh, episode to episode. That was my other sort of point to myself, I think, was that every episode we're in different planets, we're in different places, we're in different parts of the story. So it felt like it really had to have, each episode had to have its own unique thought process, which certainly added to the work that Tony and I gave ourselves. <laughs> Hi, Nicholas, Brandon from Talking Bay 94. Hey. Um, I would love to dive in. This is the most tense show I've ever watched, I feel like, every week. Um, and the music is a huge part of that. And the the pulses and the the backing behind it is just a huge part of how this show functions. I'd love to dive in to how you've constructed that and how you play that against what's happening on screen. Sure. Um, it there, there are varying degrees of tension in different episodes. And some of that is really... Tony and I, you know, us talking about what's happening and, and what is, you know, what's the scope of the current endeavor. So there are certain episodes where, um, where the tension is really high and I'm, I don't want to give anything away with where things go, but there are, I would say there are certain things that I do perhaps, you know, to add to the tension. One thing that I was doing a lot was, um, there are certain, you know, there are certain orchestral concepts and certain musical ideas you can do to, to, to increase tension. One thing that I added was I felt it was really important that things had to feel like they weren't from earth. You know what I mean? Like I really wanted it to feel like this is not our galaxy, you know? And so there's a, um, you'll hear it in a lot of places. There's a sort of detuning that I do with things quite often in, in, in the show, both with real instruments and also with synthesizers um, to give a sense of, it, I mean, to me, it just starts, it, it doesn't just feel in a faraway galaxy. To me, it also feels like something's not quite right, <laughs> you know? And when you do that coupled with, for example, in, you know, um, rising, rising elements, or when you do that with lurking, pulsing, low, I mean, there, there's, there's a sort of uh, stew that you concoct, you know? And, um, and every single one of those, I mean, I would, I, I would really stress like, every single moment in the show is a unique musical piece. There's no, we, we didn't like, like, I mean, maybe this is our own, you know, <laughs> like, uh, uh, you know, masochism or something like that, but like, like we really, every, we wrote every single scene has something unique, you know, and that's Tony is so passionate about this. Um, we, you know, I was starting to say it before, but we really, we underestimated how much work this was going to be. And we had already thought it was going to be a lot of work. So that was for sure. But we vastly underestimated how much work this was going to be. We worked constantly on this, like constantly. And so the question about the tension, every single moment where that's happening, it's, you can picture Tony and me right here being like, all right, well, what are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, and then being like, it's, oh, I don't think it's enough. You know, what are, you know, and there's also certain things too. For example, I think there's often as things are, in, are, um, uh, you know, increasing in scope, for example, I think sometimes the outs of certain scenes rise even too, or crescendo. 
and or culminate, you know, so there's a sort of like moment to moment of escalation that you might feel in certain episodes. But I think there's also like a, inside certain of these scenes, there's a gradually increasing something's wrong feeling probably. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Thank you. Hi, Nick. It's Gustavo with Trial of the Force. Thank you so much hey. for spending some time with us. Uh, my question has to do with like how we create the soundscapes for Andor and it's rooted with how we experience Star Wars as you know, for the past 40 years, we've grown so accustomed to what yeah. the sounds of Star Wars uh, needs to be based on those original scores from the nine trilogy films. And now in this, you know, in this new post Skywalker era with all these composers coming in, there's been a sort of reverence to what Star Wars needs to sound like. And now with Ludwig in Mandalorian, we've gotten to see some departures of what that can be, but still in a way grounded into, mm -hmm. you know, that Williams soundscape, so to speak. With Andor, though, it feels like we've broken the wheel and we've kind of, you know, done something completely different that it's not, you know, rooted in that sense in terms of like having orchestration and synthesizers and a lot of different percussive elements that we mm -hmm. haven't experienced before. So yeah. my question is like, how have we reinterpreted what Star Wars sounds like and how do you decide when to use orchestration versus like synth and electronic elements for like those moments like in the Niamh's Marlana club mix, which is now the best track in the whole of the Star Wars <laughs> canon, I think. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, um, the, the answer is really moment to moment. I mean, you know, like I was saying, it's, it's a, it was a constant conversation. Um, I think that in general, towards the beginning of season one, um, I was, I wasn't trying to avoid orchestra, but I think there's something dark and very real that Tony was going for. Um, there's a sense that, you know, it's, it's like, we are right with Cassian where, you know, we, we, we're in his POV. We don't know what's happening. And yet um, we, you know, you see before the episode, you see the Star Wars logo and yet immediately you're sort of, where are we? And I think that early on I was trying to almost, uh, you know, really embrace that feeling of worse, you know, you maybe this is Star Wars, but maybe this is Star Wars you haven't seen before. This is a part of the galaxy we haven't been to in a sense, you know, feeling wise for sure. And so, um, you know, I'm the, I, I adore the John Williams scores. I mean, like they're, you know, John Williams is such is beyond a legend to me, you know? Uh, but I, so I, but I think in some ways it was, um, it was a very conscious thing of saying, you know what, we're going for something different here. And when orchestra would come in, I think it felt like, it was right. You know, it felt like there are certain elements, I think, especially in the first few episodes, the first time you really have probably a large scale orchestra enter the picture is the end of episode three, where it's the wraparound bringing everything sort of together in the past present suite. Um, but also even there, you're noticing there's a lot of close mic'd individual instruments. It's sort of even mic'd. I even recorded some of the music differently. So there's, I think I was trying to go for a very like intimate feel in some of these things. You know, there's a, there's a there's a dark synthesizer edge to things. There is a sort of um, hard percussive edge to things. But there's also, I think, like a very, um, you know, emotional, close mic'd solo instrument feel at times, too. That's sort of some of the first few episodes, even down to hearing the leaves and canary. You know, that's part of the score. Um, you know, hearing all those different percussive sort of forest elements you know, sort of like a close feeling, I guess, is what I would say. And as the scope of the series increases and as we learn more, and as the 
drama increases, to me, that's where orchestra then should enter into the picture even more. You know, there's nothing grander than, for scope than, than a beautiful symphony orchestra. And yet, like you were saying on Niamos, there's always room for more synthesizer, I think. So there's definitely, you know, that's not going away. And that's certainly part of, I just feel that's a part of, that became a part of the, this certainly season one. And um, and to your to your point about mentioning the Amos track, you know, the thing that we thought about when when I initially wrote that piece for actually the Morlana Club in episode one, and I had this idea that I pitched to Tony, and and he was totally in for it. Where I was like, you know, what if the diegetic music in some of these places is this same piece of music that's just sort of of this very well known hit in the galaxy, like. There's just this piece that, you know, you hear the Morlana club version when you're in Coruscant, you know, you hear it's like a diplomatic kind of lounge version, you know, and then when you're on Yamos, you're, well, that's where, that's like where it is. That's the galaxy mix of Yamos, you know, you're there, you know, so, so that was kind of the idea. And, uh, and it just, you know, I remember saying to him, I was like, when we enter Niamos, I think we have to hear this track, you know? <laughs> 